0: again if you were to tell me that there are too many o's in my spelling of zoology in this week's title you would be betraying the fact that you have not listened to the first part of this interview with dr george mcgavin in which case stop go back an episode and let him tell you the anecdote about the exploding can of poo in a new york art gallery if however you're already well acquainted with george from part one sit back relax and let him tell you about volcanoes spider penises and the tale of destructive little tiddles, the evil New Zealand cat. Enjoy.
1: In the depth of the forest, and all the grew, the pride of the greenwood there. O'er his
0: branches, the ivy her mantle threw when the forest boughs were bare. Oh, the oak and the ivy. Oh, the oak and
1: the ivy. Oh.
0: You're obviously an inspirational teacher, Um, obviously. <laughs> Um, so much so that people have named bugs after you.
1: I've discovered that you've got an African ant and a plant hopper, a South East Asian think cockroach five and a shield now. bug. Yeah, I think it's five now. But I I, I haven't got, I mean, come on, Atmar is the one who gets, you know, squid and <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> big stuff. There's, there's <laughs> a Donald Trump moth. No! Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's got the orange hair, hasn't it? Yeah. That's right. Well, you you can see why. There 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 is a risk about naming things. There's also a well, a the smaller... naming society wants to stop people doing it now, don't they? Uh, well, it was very, it was very popular. You see, normally under the sort of rules that exist, such as they are, you you name an insect, you you hand it a, a name that reflects some character of how it looks or where it was found mm-hmm. or you know if it's got red legs, we call it. Rufi peas, which means red legs, and so on and so on. But if you're describing so many species, you, you basically get a bit stuck. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I knew a guy in the States who was the world cockroach expert. And he what a basically, title. yeah, he named so many new species of cockroach. He named after his entire family, his proctologist, his heart surgeon, his garage <laughs> mechanic, I mean, his dog. I mean, he was running it. I got one of them. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I mean it's still a great honour, it's still a great thrill that somebody admires you enough to name a a, a species of insect after you and and as I say because it's it's not easy work describing a species and getting it into print and so it it is a great honour, it's it's a way of saying thanks very much you know and uh, as I say I think I've got five now. Not out of those five but in general, easy question, do you have a favourite insect? Yeah, it's very difficult, do I? I mean, it <laughs> depends on my mood. Today. Today, yes. Well, today After, after an hour of talking to me. Today, <laughs> is it an hour? Good Lord, I can hardly believe it. Um, it well, it has to be bees. I mean, bees in general. I mean, this is a group of insects that evolved from wasps' ancestors a hundred million years ago. Changed the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the flowering plants, the rise of the flowering plants, of the angiosperms, and the bees have just changed the world from a world of browns and greens to a world of colour and fruit and nectar and, you know, and everything else that, that survives on that. They, they have to probably be the most useful and important insect group. If I was on one of my dark days, I'd say the bot fly, the human mm-hmm. bot fly, which is found in uh, <laughs> South America. And this is one of evolution's... Little, little jokes on us. Absolutely. I mean, so it's a, it's a large bee-sized fly, right? And the larvae eat human flesh, or they can eat human flesh. So how the hell does a large bee-shaped fly get an egg onto your face or your eyelid or your scalp? Well, of course, evolution has, has answered this. The big bot fly that's the size of a big hairy bee catches a mosquito or a gnat in midair. It goes out and it catches it, and it holds it very gently, and it lays its eggs on the abdomen of the small fly that feeds on blood. It then lets the fly go as a vector. This fly goes, oh, that was a bit odd. i got these sort of eggs on my bum. Oh, well, never mind. Onto your head. The heat of your skin makes the bot fly eggs hatch, and they burrow straight into your skin. Now, that is utter genius. That's brilliant. <laughs> and they live there and they feed on your flesh and your fluids and they, they breathe through you know, sparkles at the end which they have to st- stick, stick out of a little hole. And when we were filming in Lost Land of the Jaguar in Venezuela or Brazil, someone can't remember exactly, our, our cameraman had, had a bot fly and he said, I was absolutely pissed off. I wanted the botfly. I, I would sit out there with my arms up and my hat off, going, "Come on, come on! I want a botfly. It's going to be so cool to film this, you know." And the, the cameraman gets it. So He can't film it himself. And he can't film <laughs> himself, and he, he's saying, "I can hear." He could actually hear it scratching. Oh, he could God. actually hear it because it's on his skull. Yeah, like a really thin bit of and flesh. He, and he could him. hear this, <laughs> and that, that was the sound of the larvae rasping away at his flesh. Fantastic. <laughs> I spoke to uh, Jess French,
0: um, uh, oh, yeah. and she had one on her hand that yeah. she was watching for days, <sighs> waiting for it to hatch. But it hatched while she was asleep, so she never saw it come out. Oh, you, you mean actually... So it was in her skin. Not hatch, it emerged. Yeah, Emerge. pupate.
1: so it pupates. It, so when it's grown, it works its way out and falls on the floor and then pupates. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it it doesn't hatch out as a a fly. Fly, my beauty. It's still got another stage to go. Yeah, yeah. Evolution's great, isn't it? And of course, how how does that evolve? I've I've actually asked people, how do you think that evolves? I mean, if you don't catch the right sort of fly, it isn't going to work. How does the bot Mm. fly, in verity commas, know... That this thing is going to fly off and lay its egg on a host. It doesn't. It knows nothing. It, all it knows is it catches that yeah. fly, lays an egg on it, and that's it. It's when you talk to people about evolution
0: and they go, well, it decided that this was the best way to do it. And you're like, no, 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 no. Everything happened. Most of them were rubbish and didn't well, help. Absolutely rubbish. And it just went that way. Yeah. And so, but people go, but, but we got here, so we must be the entire... No, 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 no. no yeah. We were just the happy accidents <laughs> that got here. And our experiment is still going. I know. Like we could be proved to be a dead end too and it was actually Absolutely. the bot fly Absolutely. that's on the right arc and they're going to inherit Absolutely. this wonderful world of us. This is
1: what people do not understand. And I'd love to do a programme that... His, in fact, Aubrey actually had a show. He did a show on the, the Earth's history, which I thought was miraculous. It was mm-hmm. really good. But the, the Earth's four and a half billion years on. Life of some sort started pretty quickly, uh-huh. about you know half a billion or so years on it took a very long time before anything remotely interesting happened and it's all in the sea of course 500 years million years ago for some reason in in the oceans of the cambrian suddenly life becomes you know very mm-hmm. interesting and gets hard parts it gets shells it gets eyes you know and then onto land and then way down the line you know a few apes appear i mean we share a common ancestor with a gorilla eight million years ago mm-hmm. We have a common ancestor with a chimpanzee six million years ago. Lots of things in between. Human beings as they look now have only been around for a hundred thousand years, mm-hmm. more or less. And you know, <laughs> look where you know and what whatever okay. it was that gave us the big brain, we still don't really understand why one of those things became this big-brained animal. And if you were to replay the tape of evolution, A million times would it produce that result every time? Mm, Probably not. In fact almost certainly not. So you know here we are and we're not making a very good fist of it because we are too successful.
0: There's a book called Galapagos by Kurt Vonnegut which talks about how the brain is an accident and we shouldn't have such a big one because it's just going to cause too many problems so evolutionarily (laughs) speaking the big brains that we have are uh, foolhardy or an evolutionary dead end.
1: It is certainly a, a way of <laughs> of looking at it. Um, did you hear it. on the radio the other day? You've probably heard it before, but they they got re- they
0: got a recording of queen bees talking to each other.
1: Yes, that was amazing. There's so much we st- This is the wonderful thing about insects and entomology. Yeah, there are probably eight million species of insects on earth. We've only named a million and a bit. So there's plenty more work out there. And we now know and we can now record things. We can see things we couldn't, you know, ever before. Mm -hmm. Even a common, one of the most studied insects on earth, the bee, the the honeybee, has this little, you know, acoustic trick. So, you know, if the queen bee comes out first, she makes a toot saying, I don't want any more queen bees out, buddy. So just you, I'm the queen bee, (laughs) you know. Uh, fantastic. And there's probably lots of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, wasps, the common wasp that, that annoys everybody, you know, fantastic things in your garden, actually. They, they kill all your pests. But we still don't really understand what goes on in a wasp nest. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've pitched an idea called the wasp factory, where where I wanted to build a, a shed, which basically would contain an enormous big you know wasp nest, and we'd put cameras inside and outside, and we'd film it, record it, we could have found out something really new, and in fact, they 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 said, "What's well, a great idea, George?" But you know, can you guarantee we'll find something new? And I went, "Yes, I can guarantee." Because that. No one's done it before. because nobody's done it. Yeah. And if we don't find something new, well, we we will find something new. And they went, "Oh, well, it's, it's oh."
0: <laughs> it, it was the thing watching um, the ocean autopsy the other day, like the sea is a perfect example of that, something that we see every day that we get in every day if you live by the coast and yet watching that documentary, you realize that we're just scratching the surface of
1: understanding of what that whole space is and why and how exactly i mean the the fact that we have an know that we have oceans which are inter interconnected interjoined, and they're so big they're the reason that anything can occur on dry land i mean the, w- without it we'd be absolutely stuffed. Uh, But the, the oceans, of course, when once they were vast, limitless resources that we couldn't imagine ever coming to an end or us ever despoiling them, we're now at the point where, yes, we've done exactly that. We have despoiled them. We've overfished most of the oceans. Everything that we put on land runs off in the normal cycle, rain, rivers, sea and everything from pesticides herbicides all the drugs we take pharmaceuticals, the pharmaceuticals say. the the antidepressants the everything just ends up in the ocean i think that's the thing that i mean i was aware of it but i think
0: that what that documentary hit back home really really strongly was the reality that the doses of things that were taken to fix human problems are just going into the sea it's so the you're ocean. giving your antidepressants to cod you're giving it uh, yeah. your uh, insulin medicine to to pike or whatever it is it all flows in through yeah. the the land mm. and nothing really disappears.
1: I actually said in the film, which of course was cut out. I said, as I stood on Hampton Court Bridge, well, it wouldn't surprise me if all the fish in the Thames were pain-free, high as kites, and had changed sex. <laughs> and cut, thanks, George, we, we probably won't use that, but, but that, that's, that, that's the truth of it, you know. But I, I did feel a very, I felt very sad as I cut open that poor harbour yeah. porpoise here is an animal, a group of animals that has evolved in their habitat for ten times longer than we have evolved in our habitat. Perfectly adapted, and we are poisoning their habitat. And this thing isn't able to feed; it hadn't fed for three days.
0: When you discovered the, the milk through the mammary glands, and then the mm. fact that it had a f- fetus,
1: oh, it, it was it was very very it's horrific. It's very sad. And of course, all the problems that we face, every single one of them boils down to the fact that we are, we've just, there are too many of us. That's mm-hmm. that. And until governments grasp that nettle. But of course, the whole world is based on a capitalist ethos. It's good. It's a great idea. It takes people out of hardship and poverty and disease quicker than any other thing. But it comes a point when it's not going to work. So all you're doing is producing more people to consume shit they don't need. Do you think we'll learn? No, I absolutely don't <laughs> think we'll learn. I absolutely don't think we'll learn. No. I, I, I mean, there are, there are some people who I've met, and I email, who are so concerned about it that they have voluntarily said, I do not want to have any kids. They, they're yeah. that concerned about it. It's. I think it's... I've spoken
0: to a few people who've got that. I think it's a wonderful ethical stance to take it makes a lot of sense in the current age um i mean you re- have to readdress our views on hierarchy and hegemony and our, uh the responsibility for me to, to to create progeny so that my name continues mm. because it's such a lovely surname it's important that it keeps going <laughs> <up>. <laughs> anyway um there are three in fact, that was something that aubrey manning did he was a, he was the chairman of one of the first sort of population yeah groups yep, Come absolutely. What they were
1: yeah I, I think it f- for it, it changed into the one that we currently have which is population matters or something yeah, or it's... something like that but yeah but yeah he's, he's, he's absolutely right animals will grow exponentially and we're very smart we can we, we've removed diseases we probably won't blow ourselves up probably mm-hmm. we might get a few viruses from time to time what will end our days on Earth? I think it'll be a volcano. I think it'll be a huge volcano, uh, and it almost happened before. It almost happened before. Wait. So, asteroids not going to happen. Probably that—that that probably won't smaller do chance. It. But vo- vo- volcanoes, the Earth is very active. It's got these massive volcanoes around the place, VE8 volcanoes that are just super huge. Uh, they have a long cycle. They will go off at some point. You can say Tata to modern man. Where do you think
0: it will be? Do you think it will be the San Andreas fault up near Yosemite? It could be
1: in the States, it could be in Asia, but it will happen. I mean, it will happen at some point. There will be a massive eruption. Billions, trillions of tonnes of gas and sulphur dioxide will be in the atmosphere. And that will be it. Bingo bongo. We won't be growing any crops for a very long time. Billions will starve. And the few of us that survive... we've got all that tin shit to survive on. (laughs) The few of us that survive will pick ourselves up and soldier on. But as has been observed in the past, you know, we are the only animal who has developed a big brain and has a recorded history from which we refuse to learn. Yeah. Um, There are three questions that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast.
0: Hmm. Um, The first one is if you could go for a walk anywhere in the world
1: right now, where would it be? Oh, a rainforest. Which one? It, would, it, would, it would have to be area. well. There's so many places. That You've are got so to wonderful. choose one. Well, I see. I couldn't go there because I'd, I'd have to fly there. Oh, You're God. allowed to fly. You, you, I'll transport you. You transport Zero me. carbon footprint. Zero carbon. Yeah. Transport me. Okay. Uh, it would have to be either the, the savannas of Africa, which I absolutely love, or Amazonian jungle, or Malaysian jungle. Actually, is very nice. Oh mm-hmm. God, don't let me choose. You've got to, I'm sorry. I to <laughs> oh. OK, I'm going to say, sod all that, I'm a Briton. An ancient woodland in, in Britain. There you go. OK. Ancient woodland in Britain. And that is because... That, that, that hasn't been destroyed by HS2. Oh. Sorry. Had to get that in.
0: Yeah, I... I'm prolific in my hatred for HS2. I released an episode of this podcast with the Woodland Trust when they were trying to get a court injunction against... HS2 Limited, even just trying to get a response out of HS2 Limited to understand why they were translocating an ancient woodland during spring.
1: Oh, it's, it, it's, a, it's horrendous. It is horrendous. And for what? For what?
0: At a time when we're learning that we can do things better remotely Exactly. At the moment.
1: And this virus thing, if it's taught us anything, it's taught us that we, it cannot be business as mm. usual. You do not need to get to Birmingham or Manchester 15 minutes earlier. No. Or whatever it happens to be. Oh, but the power, northern powers, we have to join up all these... No, we don't. We don't have to join anything up. What would be nice if we could get internet that actually bloody well worked half <laughs> the time? That would be good. So, in ancient woodland. What, why in ancient woodland? Because I understand them, because they're my environment, because I could name... Probably most of the species, with a bit
0: of help. Do you in think there. if I gave you a meter squared, you could tell you could extrapolate out from that information pretty much
1: what's around you in this entirety. No, it's very, it's very, very, very patchy. one by one isn't enough. Uh-huh. I mean, I mean, you you couldn't extrapolate from a one by one piece here, what's around oh. you? Well, you could probably do eighty percent of it, I suppose. Yeah, but. The variety and the, the, the ancientness is important. The mm-hmm. ancientness is important. And when I hear these bloody people saying, oh, don't worry, we're going to cut down this uh, 700-year-old woodland, but we'll plant lots of uh, trees for it. It's, you can't recreate an ancient woodland by just planting trees in straight lines. Mm-hmm. This is not going to work.
0: The The <laughs> battle that the Woodland Trust is fighting at the moment is making people realise that It's not even just about planting trees. It's about making sure that they remain in the ground as much as anything else.
1: We know what to do, David. We know what to do. We're smart enough. There's been enough biologists and ecologists around. We know what to do. What lacks, what is not there is the political will and the fact that money will trump nature every single time. And until such time comes as when we realize that that is not the only way to do business, that you can do business in different ways, then it'll be business as usual. Yeah.
0: One of the things I listened to on the radio this morning was about the illegal trade of animals. They were talking about pangolins in oh. particular. And it was horrific and horrible and disgusting, whatever. But one thing they said that I didn't even realize, didn't know, was that bigger than the illegal trading of elephant tusks and pangolin scales and the tiers of unicorns is- Really? Is timber. Really <laughs> yeah. yeah. That yeah. works.
1: The, yeah, it does work. really well. Wow.
0: Um, is timber. Yeah. the illegal trade in timber is worth a huge amount more
1: money than yeah. of any animal commodity yeah and it grows slowly i mean i i worked for a short time in thailand and there was a border guard post we, we were exploring caves and uh six o'clock the border guard went off and that was it and uh, he, he went off that, that was the end of his shift and you could already see 50 60 trucks from myanmar queued up on the road with enormous mahogany teak, all the rest of it, logs on it, just waiting for him to go off uh, for the end of his day, and they just trundle straight on through. And, I mean, I, it drives me insane every summer in England. You know, Teak garden furniture, they pop up all of this like, like tumours. Mm-hmm. You know, come and buy your teak. No, do not buy hardwood Furniture, which has been probably almost certainly illegally felled, illegally exported, manufactured somewhere else into teak garden furniture for you to sit your fat ass on and drink, a, you know, a gin and tonic. It wasn't lovely, darling. No, it's not lovely. It's horrendous. Just put them out of business. Don't buy it. We have an enormous amount of power as an individual, mm-hmm. but we've got to do it in a concerted way.
0: The power of the checkbook or the credit card. Yeah, Or absolutely. the Apple Pay Touch Pay. Or whatever that is contactless the power of contactless
1: I don't use that it's sorcery <laughs> I don't like it
0: <laughs> um, question two I think I can predict your answer to this um, should we colonise the moon
1: oh lord well I ha- happily I won't be there that'll be good uh, the moon will be mined almost for sure they'll get up there it won't be uh, occupancy at first it won't be have your away you know Shelley or the moon it'll be It'll be stuff that they want to extract. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be hugely expensive. Uh, it probably won't happen anytime soon. Will we colonise other planets? I don't think we'll get there. Sure, we'll kill ourselves I think before we something get to will something. happen long before then. I mean, look what happened it, when I we were about to film the Lost Land of the Volcano, and that small Iceland <laughs> volcano went oh. went poof, and that was it. Air traffic in the whole of the, the northern hemisphere stopped for like four weeks. Yeah, you, well, you, I got stranded fly. in Budapest. Yeah. I was out there filming. You couldn't at the fly. Time. What was and it called? But that, that—that that was a tiny volcano.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Everything over Europe just stopped for stopped. ash clouds.
1: Yeah. And if you go back 74,000 years ago, which is not very far, there was a really big eruption in um, Indonesia. Toba went off. Ash clouds circled the the earth in in a few years. Only very few pockets of human beings alive at that time survived. And right. we are descendants of all of those. And that is why the DNA of you and me and an Inuit and a Maori and all the rest of them are so similar. Because sure. we had to squeeze through that little bottleneck. And what we need is a bloody VE8 volcano. That's going to be an absolute cracker. <laughs> an absolute cracker. The earth is a violent, restless place. You know, this is, this is just a transient dream. But it's a transient dream that I love. You're talking about Windsor Great Park? Anywhere like this. <laughs> any natural habitat.
0: Um,
1: there, I, was, I was listening
0: to something the other day talking about the, the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs and how predictions is that it killed everything. Mm, no. And you're like, well, it, it no, didn't. It didn't, it's, obviously. There's some of them. And you kind, of, you kind of want to be that guy, that little sort of a protozoic bird or whatever it's going to be, I don't know, hiding behind a, the one who saw it and yeah. survived. Oh, what a day, you never guess. <laughs> yeah.
1: What is that? Oh, n- n- camera crew from from the future. Okay, okay, and go, here it comes. And film it. Uh, wh- this, where's the stock? You didn't put a card in this? Let's, go, let's go again. Can we get another <laughs> asteroid? Get,
0: oh, too much noise here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, question three. If you could bring any species, final question. If you could bring any species back from extinction, what would it be?
1: I don't think it would, actually. Um... I think it's a pointless exercise. Had its chance. I think it's a pointless exercise. And I, I think all these huge amounts of sums that are being spent on restoring the mammoth or the oracles I mean, for goodness sake, it's gone. Put the money into preserving habitat so it doesn't bloody happen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Primates, of which we are a member of the group, 50% of them are threatened. 50%. I mean... You know, surely we can use that cash to some better So let me, let me rephrase use. the question
0: then. Which species, it doesn't need to be a primate, it could be anything, which species would you help stop now going extinct?
1: I wish you'd told me this question <laughs> a week ago, David. I could have spent many you hours... You wouldn't
0: be the first person to go away and think about, about it and then it. email me a recording of them saying the answer that they wished they'd said. There was a wonderful one I got from Tim Pears, the novelist, all about... Uh, rhino horns and how we can synthetically grow it now that was a lovely little side anecdote but he didn't think of that at the moment
1: but they won't want a synth no. they won't want it
0: yeah. I want my I want my barbecue <laughs> garden furniture made out of real rhino horns yeah fibers. real rhino thank rhino. you very much
1: yeah I don't I, just, I do not know what would make anything iconic the <laughs> a dodo there you are a dodo it's a flightless pigeon lives on an island you, you, you might as well bring that back as anything else you know a giant bird in, in new zealand a mower you know fantastic Half mowers i sorry i don't see the point of bringing anything back cool. I, because we don't we don't learn and and if you were to achieve that and say look at this dodo we could still have this most people are going say well, so what who cares Passenger yeah. pigeon i mean that was one of the passenger pigeon one of the commonest birds on the planet the sky would go dark. We never imagined it could become extinct. And yet within 50, 60 years of hunting, trapping, killing, fun, for food, for sport, there was one left in a zoo in America. One left out of all these billions of passenger pigeons.
0: Speaking of things we destroyed, did you see the recently rediscovered footage of the thylacine? No, no, that, no I haven't seen that. Is it, is it real? Is
1: it a real one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it mean, it's,
0: it's from back in the days. It's an old but a a paint a footage, but bit of newsreel footage, but another... Oh. Yeah. Stripulatus, yeah. to get some stripes. <laughs> it's on actually there. footage from uh, Rex Harrison's Dr. Doolittle. No, right. um, but no, it's an extra sort of, I think it's only like 15 seconds worth of it, but what a creature. Yeah. But you
1: see, this is it. We, we value things when they become rare. Yeah. When things are common, we don't value them. Not interesting. And the rarer they get, suddenly we go, oh, oh, that's, that's interesting. Ooh. And the rarer they get, the more valuable they get. Right? Well, why don't we just value the natural world as it is? Yeah and not wait until it's on its last legs and go, oh, we must save that. The only example, documented example, of a vertebrate animal extinguishing something else was on an island in New Zealand, where they built a lighthouse. And the man in charge of the lighthouse was very lonely and he had a cat, and he had a cat on this island. And every so often the cat would bring in a little brown bird and (laughs) drop it at his feet. And the man said, oh, that's very nice. Thank, thanks very much. Oh, psh, throw it away. And eventually he thought, no, actually, this, lo- this looks quite interesting. I shall send this to London to see if it is something interesting. <laughs> so by the time word came back, wow, this is, a, this is an incredibly, um, unbelievably rare, flightless wren that only occurs on this particular island. The cat had eaten them all. <laughs> the cat had the last one. That was it. Bingo. So the only documented case of a vertebrate creature, a single vertebrate animal, Extirpating one species from the face of the earth is that one cat, it's Tibbles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not even a species, it's no, that cat. It's that
0: one cat. So, yeah. the only thing worse than the human species is yeah. Tibbles, the lighthouse keeper's cat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got one other question that my mate Gary he's, a, he's, he's really annoyed that I haven't done an episode on spiders. Oh, I love spiders. Oh, so, as God. I'm talking to an entomologist, I thought Spider I would give penises. him the chance to ask oh, a God.
1: question. Spider penises, oh, well, the, you know, the the male organs at the front, the p- pulp. so incredibly There's nothing conference. more exciting than hearing a man say spider penis. <laughs> I, I used to j- joke about it and say, why can't people just work on spider penises? They're much <laughs> more exciting. <laughs> well, it isn't really a penis, but it is effectively a penis. It's, 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 it's the pulp. And in fact, actually, I'm thinking back to when I was eight years old uh-huh. and I saw, I remember it was a black and white TV film and it was Attenborough was on it and he was describing the mating ritual of the garden spider. And the male fills the pulps with sperm and he advances towards the female. I was just gripped. I was like, oh my God. Spiders have sex. Jesus, I never knew this. Uh-huh. My, my father's there reading a paper. I'm like, look at this, look at this, look. this. God's sake, that's rubbish. <laughs> and it was just it was just fantastic. And spiders are a fantastic. When you get elderly as an entomologist, when you, you can't charge around after insects uh-huh. anymore, you tend to move to spiders because they're a bit easier to catch but they, they, they are remarkable animals and actually do a phenomenal amount of work for us uh, I mean in terms of what they catch and flies and stuff they eat I've, I was looking at millions some, of tons we were down near uh, Wakehurst the other day and
0: this uh, meadow left out to pasture um, full of crickets going everywhere but there are funnel webs everywhere mm, a funnel webs oh, oh, yeah not, yeah but they, they're sort of they're stuck at the back of it sort of getting ready yeah. to come out and grab them they, it's just the way you see them sort of hunkered
1: back there. I love them. Why is it that so many people in the UK are terrified of spiders? There's not a single spider in the UK that can kill you. There have been no recorded deaths from spider bites. And yet, in Australia, where there are things that can indeed kill you, people go, oh, yeah, mate, it's is spider, mate. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's a fun <laughs> way. <laughs> and yet, we're going, oh, no, get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Was there ever anything on this, planet, on
0: this island that could kill us? We've got um, an adder, but that's not I really going to
1: kill him really. I, yeah, control. I mean, obviously you, you you can get killed if you have an allergy to things. I mean, there's, every year somebody swigs out of a Coke can, you know, and there's a wasp inside and it's... I was, them in the throat and your throat swells up, you know. Th- very there are people who have allergies. I was
0: talking to um, the Narutai, but he was the chief naturalist at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park. And there's warnings that says beware rattlesnakes and all that kind of stuff mm. but I mean Kings Canyon and Sequoia is a huge area of land and I said well, has anyone ever been bitten killed by a rattlesnake and he said Sigh. I have to say that yes one person died from a rattlesnake bite in Sequoia National Park and what did they do they brought the rattlesnake with them ah so this guy had his rattlesnake in the back of his car and he got bitten by it in his car. So he was filming it in. No, he wasn't the filming habitat. it. He just this. It was just a general guy coming for a walk, like driving. We did from, rattlesnake. He had a rattlesnake with him. So, technically, one person has died from a rattlesnake bite in Kings Canyon the National Park. That is, but it was his own rattlesnake
1: taking the stupid genes <laughs> out of the population. It's a very good thing. It's good, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, my friend Gary's question about spiders was: I have no idea how far a spider can travel when it flies on its own thread. Also, do
1: we know the reason why they feel the need to travel? Miles. Is it to find a mate to, to spread the species? Yeah, I actually made a film of this on the one show which was filmed last year. It was shown early this year and we went up in a hot air balloon and we found you know, spiderlings up there on threads. So when spiders, very small spiders, will move around, that there is a charge between the ground and them. They spin a thread into the air. The charge on that thread builds up and it yanks them off. So it, it used to be thought it was just the wind, wind now you know, a, pulling it. It's actually a charge off the ground, and it, and, it, and it yanks them into there, and they just drift around. So it's a great way to get new habitat. So things have an innate drive to occupy new ground, uh-huh. and you know, dispersal is is a key thing, obviously, uh, and they can drift in the upper atmosphere. Well, not the upper atmosphere, but fairly high, sure. hundreds of feet off the ground. Well, yeah. one can imagine they go miles. Because they're cold-blooded. They obviously don't... Hundreds of miles that, yeah. they can drift. And in fact, on occasions where you've got brand new land appears, Oceanic Islands appear like a volcano appears, and it forms a, a, a little island in the sea, as happened in Surtsey, off Iceland, I think it was. Uh-huh. Uh, the first animals to land were spiders. Uh-huh. Yeah. And of course, they, of course, haven't got anything to eat, and if they can't spin their way off it again, they die. That, you know... Well, it makes a bit of soil as they rot other things build up a seed comes in grows in that small plant grows moss other things arrive so it's a fantastic way of looking at how life so even before seeds could
0: get blown there it's important to have some kind of spider you do have to get something some kind of live matter there to decompose and create soil yeah Yeah, absolutely
1: so the the first things there were were spiders on silk threads just ballooning through the air that's amazing Fantastic. And we we spent quite a bit of cash on this and we were up in the balloon and I was thinking, God, if I don't catch a ballooning spider up here, we are we're toast. We we are toast. And I was sweeping away with a net, you know. (laughs) And eventually I I got one. I went, Yes! (laughs) We're talking like a sort of mini money money spider kind of thing, like tiny little A money spider particularly, yeah. Okay. yeah, Yeah. And don't tell me hot air balloons are nice and relaxing. They're not. They're noisy, noisy and hot. And I was, uh, they they said to me, oh, you'll you'll have to dress up warmly, George. We're, we're, we're going, so I got a ganrak and a hat on. I was cooked. But you're the rainforest guy. You like noisy and hot. Do you know what? I don't. <laughs> I, do, I don't like hot. I really sweat. I get, you know, I really, I much prefer this cool environment. But if you want the diversity, if you want the animals, you have to suffer, I'm afraid. Sure. Uh, one of the things I was reading the other day was about the six different
0: kinds of silk that spiders can weave. Is it not eight? Is it eight. I think it's eight. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's eight. But eight whether it's to, to transport themselves, like the, what we are talking about a moment ago, whether it's to to attach the, uh, pheromones to, to get there's mates. There's all to sorts make of, yeah. It's,
1: it's not just silk, it's to make webs and parts of webs. It's amazing. There's the outside frame web, silk so was very strong. You've got spiral silk, which is made by a different gland. You've got egg sac silk, so which is different again. Yeah, they're, they're incredibly... Do you know how done. they can do it? We uh, just... Yes, we do. And it's not something that I could explain easily, sure. but we are, we're at the point of beginning to emulate the mechanism by which you can draw solid silk from a, uh, you know, a liquid dope, it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I mean, it's, it's, um, we're, we're nearly there. In fact, one of the guys who actually is active in this field is a guy who I taught at Oxford. One of the great things about having taught at Oxford is your, your kids, you have 100 a year who go through and they become professors and you know, experts in the field. That is just glorious, absolutely glorious. The fact that you, you can say, you know, under your breath. I made that. I taught him, I taught him. Yeah. <laughs> As if you're a major part, which you're not, you're, you, you're a part of the whole. But I, I, I like to think that in my time at Oxford, I got kids excited, got kids excited. You, you know, that's, that's the only thing you can do. You can't teach them what they need to know mm-hmm. in an eight-hour course. Pointless. What you've got to do is to make them want to find out more than anything else. And that's what I hope I did.
0: Well, I would suggest you obviously have done that and are continuing to do that on television. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, George, thank you very, very, very much for talking to me. That's fantastic. Thank you. So that's that from George, and that's that for season two of Trees A Crowd. So a massive thank you to George for being brilliantly candid with me back in June. And thank you, too, to all of the other guests who've appeared across this second season. But a particularly special thank you to Ollie for being the best editor a Badger-obsessed podcaster could find. I'll be back again in 2021 for Series 3, but until then, keep enjoying the natural world and keep finding ways to give a little back from time to time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.
1: Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the ivy, oh